bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth, and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You will remember, nothing happens by chance. Nothing happens by coincidence. Nothing happens by luck for the child of God. Our lives are held securely in the hands of our sovereign God. And all things, and that does mean all things, work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So the question asked many a time is this, do I trust Him? Not in those moments where things are seemingly fine, but all the time. It's easy to trust God when there's money in the bank, when there's gas in the car, when there's peace in the home and good health in our lives. It's easy to trust Him when things are going well. But as this story unfolds, a true picture of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 really is being portrayed. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. Think about Him in all your ways and He will guide you on the right paths. Lord God, as we come before You this morning, I ask that You would speak to our hearts. For these few moments, God, I ask that You would challenge us where we need challenge, convict us where we need convicting, encourage where we need encouragement. And I ask, God, that Your thoughts and Your words would come forth this morning through this message. And I ask, God, that You'd help us to do two things this morning. That You'd help us to be honest about whether or not we're fully trusting You. Honest about what kind of a portrait we have in Your sight. What kind of a picture of our lives are being betrayed or portrayed. And I ask, God, that You'd help us to be obedient to what You asked us to do it to be this morning. So speak to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said earlier in the introduction, as this story unfolds, the portraits of two godly people begin to emerge. What does a portrait of a godly person look like? I think I see at least uh, several characteristics in the life of Ruth, and I want to highlight them for a few moments this morning. But I want you to understand, first of all, that Ruth was a woman of humility. And I love what I see in this passage about it. And I'm going to let the passage speak for itself for just a moment this morning. But right away in chapter 2 and verse 2, Ruth, the Moabite, asked Naomi, Will you let me go into the field? You would think to yourself for just a moment, Well, isn't that a given? I mean, they've come all this way. They've traveled to Bethlehem. And the bottom line is, they have nothing. Nobody is waiting there with a pot of gold at the end of the journey. Nobody is there waiting for them a land for a, with a piece of land that is theirs to take. They are arriving tired and hungry, and immediately Ruth, in her, humil- in her humility, she looks to Naomi as her mother-in-law, as the authority in her life, and says, "Will you let me go?" What humility! And then you see it again down in verse seven. Not only does she ask for permission to go and work, how many people do that? But look at verse 7. She asked, Will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? 
not only does she ask for permission to even be able to work, but then she goes to whoever the owner is and says, will you let me once again? She is in her humility placing herself under the authority that God has placed in her life. Now, a question I have to ask myself is, how often do we do that? You see, every one of us has authority in our life in some way or another. Every one of us has to be submissive to authority that God miraculously, graciously puts in our life. Are we willing to do that? No, nobody in their right mind wants to have authority. Nobody wants anybody telling them what they can and cannot do. But you see, a person who is humble says, Will you? Will you let me go to work? Will you let me work in your field? And I love this thing. You say for a moment that uh, you know, she didn't have to ask. Well, there's some truth to that and there's some fallacy with that. You see, for the most part, as a poor stranger in the land, she was allowed to glean or pick up the leftovers that were left from the harvesting as a poor person, as a stranger. Landowners were to leave a portion of their harvest. But see, there were exceptions to that. And being a Moabitess was one of those exceptions. But she humbled herself not only before Naomi, but also before the landowner. And look at Leviticus chapter 19. Let's, let me read a couple of these verses here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You must not strip your vineyard, bear or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and for the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. So the landowners had a certain responsibility as well. It's almost as if you've ever been in a big cornfield, and the cornfield is very nice and neat. But if you've ever sat in the seat of a big combine, they don't turn on a dime. They don't turn at 90 degree corners. Uh, we saw this quite often living in Indianapolis. But they would come down the rows, and as they'd get to the very end, they'd have to do one of two things. They'd either have to back up and go straight to the corner, and then as they came around the other side and come into that corner, or they would just make a wide turn and leave the corner pieces. That was the idea here. The harvesters were to leave a certain portion for those who were either poor or a stranger, a foreigner, so to speak, in the land. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22 says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and for the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. And then as we come into Deuteronomy chapter 24, and I said that there were some exceptions to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, you read some of the exceptions. If they were enemies of God, they, were, they didn't have to let a foreigner come in if they were one of the sworn enemies. But in Deuteronomy 24 verse 19 it says, When you reap the harvest in your field and you forget a sheep in the field, do not go back to get it. In other words, if you've made these bundles and you've had this leftover that has dropped behind the wagon, has dropped behind it you know, because it couldn't carry it all, don't go back and get it. Leave it there purposely for those who are needed. Who are the people that might need it? It is to be left for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So it was very clear that some of it was to be left. But here's the principle found in Psalm 146 and verse 9. The Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow. See, God was in the business of taking care of His people. It wasn't just about taking care of you know, the rich and the wealthy and those that had land. 
God was in the business of taking care of the people that he chose to take care of, including the, fa- the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, and so forth. So the first picture I want you to see of Ruth is that she was a humble person. She asked permission from her authority to do the work and then to work in the fields. Well, then you see a picture of the hard work itself, number two. In, ch- in chapter 2, verse 3, you see this. So Ruth left and entered the field to, get, to gather grain behind the harvested, harvesters. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. And then again, um, in verse 7, uh, listen, look at this. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has remained from early morning until now, except she rested a little in the shelter. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hard work being out in a harvest field. Um, if you've ever worked on hay field, if you've ever worked on a, uh, in a field where they're gathering the crops, I've done that a little bit in Indiana on some Saturdays and some, some days during the harvest season, as my kids have. It's not easy work. It's hard work. It's time-consuming. It's energy-consuming. And here she is out there working hard to prepare to take care of her mother-in-law. But here's the interesting thing about it. She was willing to work where someone would allow her. Did you catch that? Uh, Down there in verse 7. Will you let me gather fallen grain among the... She came and remained there. She she worked in verse 2 wherever somebody would let her work. In the Hebrew language, here's what it literally is saying. She chanced to chance upon the field. Or in other words, as it turned out. You see, here's where people say, well, things happen by accident. Isn't that coincidence? Isn't it just luck that she chanced to be in the field belonging to Boaz? As I said in the beginning, there are no accidents. There is no luck. There is no coincidence for the child of God. Because God is a sovereign God who knows everything. And as she went out, she did not know. Naomi did not tell her where to go. But she happened to be in the field belonging to Boaz. It just happened. <laughs> you got to know that God has a sense of humor. And I'm going to come back to that point in just a moment. But you have to know that God knew everything that was going to happen. God is a sovereign God. I want you to look at just a couple of passages. Keep your finger there in Ruth. But I want to read just a couple of verses that maybe this will encourage you about who God is. In the book of Psalm, chapter 115, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Psalm 115, verse 3. I love this verse. Our God is in heaven and He does whatever He pleases. He does whatever He pleases. Can you imagine just for a moment, God, He's sitting up there and He goes, this is going to get really interesting here in just a moment. I know they're coming back, but this, this is going to be really cool. I'm going to make it so that she chooses to go to that field. I believe God can do that. I believe God did that. It's not coincidence. It's not luck that she happened, as it turned out, to be in Boaz's field. God, you got to love this. He knows exactly what He's doing. 
Remember we said way back in the first message about the book of Ruth? Is that this channel that God is creating is going to be a direct line to who? Jesus Christ. And God's going to take care of His own. So, God is up in the heaven, and He does whatever He pleases. If you go over just a few chapters, it's chapter 135, and verse 6. It says, Yahweh does whatever He pleases in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the depths. He's up there orchestrating the details of our life. Whether you see it or not, He's in control. And as Ruth and Naomi headed back to Bethlehem, even though they were unsure of what would take place, God wasn't. I can relate to my brother here coming from Louisiana. Nobody comes to New York of their own free will. It's always a God thing. (laughs) Even though we don't know what's going on, God does. And I'm so glad He does. Proverbs, <coughs> chapter 16, and verse 9. It says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Isn't that awesome? I don't believe that even in the sinfulness of going to Moab, I don't believe that God didn't know what was going to be in the end of the story. As they were there, they said, Hey, we've heard this rumor. God is visiting His people and He's providing food for them. Let's go back. Coincidence? No. Luck? No. Chance? No. God is guiding their steps. Bringing them home. Back to the fruitful land of bread. The land of Judah. Isaiah 55. Verses 8 and 9. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows exactly what He is doing. Ephesians chapter 3. One more little verse here. Chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Don't think that God's not able to provide. So here's this portrait that we're being painted for the life of Ruth. Humility, hard work. It doesn't stop there. Look back in our text. In Ruth chapter 2. Look at verse 10. You see another part of this portrait. It's called honor. Chapter 2, verse 10, she says, She bowed with her face to the ground and said to him, Why are you so kind to notice me, though I am a foreigner? She didn't have to bow. She could have just went on her merry way and just kind of kept her head head down and just picked up the stuff that was in front of her, the the sheaves and and the wheat and and whatever was left behind and, and just gathered it and got on her way. But she took the moment to honor the landowner. The one who is gracious to her. I wonder, in the busyness of life, when things just get so hectic, do we take time to stop and honor the one who's been so gracious to us? We're all busy. That's the culture that we live in. We go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, do we take time to stop 
one of the biggest things I got out of this Lead Like Jesus conference that we dealt with yesterday, Friday and Saturday was solitude. Just getting alone with God and meditating on Him and His Word and letting Him speak to you. That's foreign to most of us. I'm not talking about praying for five minutes. I'm not talking about, well, I'm just going to go over to Starbucks and find a corner and read for a few minutes. I'm not talking about getting up in the morning and doing my quote-unquote routine. I'm talking about getting alone with some purposeful intention of being quiet and listening to God speak. That's foreign to most of us. And most of it is because of our misplaced priorities. We're so busy even doing good things that we don't take time to stop and slow down. That's one of my goals this winter. Is I want to just slow down a little bit and just take time to, for solitude and, and to meditate on God's Word. But this picture of honor, she stopped in the midst of it all and honored the one who had been gracious to her. You see another picture of this portrait. Verse 11. Boaz answered her, Everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. You see a picture of heart. You see a real heart. She was willing to leave her home. How many people are willing to do that? Are you willing to leave your family? Are you, are you willing to leave what is comfortable? What is secure? Are you willing to leave and set aside the things that are most important to you? God may never ask you to do that, but are you willing if you would? He may never require you to leave your place, but are you willing if He asked you to? Let's be honest about that. She was willing to lay everything aside. I think God was working in that too. I think God allowed Ruth to see enough of Naomi's faith in her God, even though she was struggling, to say, I want what you've got. That's why she was able to say, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Your home will be my home. Where you die, I will die. I'm going. I'm committed. You see her heart. What kind of a heart that we have? We have a heart that is committed. A heart that is willing to sacrifice. A heart that is willing to go the distance. But not only that, you see one more characteristic in this portrait. Verse 12. It says, May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come for refuge. You see a picture of or characteristic of hope. I think just in the stillness of that moment, Ruth is just like, God's going to be here. God's going to take care of me. God's, God's going to do it. Because here's this wealthy landowner, and I still don't even really think she understands completely who this man is. She doesn't know yet. But she's confident of this one thing. This guy is going to allow her to be, her need to be taken care of. So you see a picture in this portrait of godliness in Ruth that displays her humility and hard work and honor and her heart and her hope. 
But then you see another portrait. This is Boaz. He's the kinsman redeemer. And remember, we talked about this back in message one. One who could buy back, who could redeem what has been taken through the years. But first of all, I want you to see the first characteristic of this portrait. He was a man of prominence. We see that right away in chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side named Boaz. He was a prominent man of noble character from a Limelight's family. He was a prominent man. This is an interesting word, this word prominent. Throughout the, throughout the, the Old Testament in the Hebrew language, this exact same word is translated four different ways. They're all very similar, but, but listen to this just for a minute. You don't have to turn there for time's sake. In Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, it's translated valiant warrior. The same word that is translated prominent is translated valiant warrior. And you can see how this could very well be the case because he was a contemporary of Gideon. And Gideon, remember, talked about those men of valor. So uh, 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 8, mighty man. So not only was he a prominent man, but also translated valiant warrior, mighty man. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, he was a man of influence. Translated from the same word, man of influence. And it's also the same word, that is translated in the book of Ruth itself in chapter 3, verse 11, speaking of Ruth, excellence. Excellence. But you know what? God, through Boaz, worked in his life in such a way that he was that noble man. He was a mighty man of valor. He was that valiant warrior. He was that man of influence. He was a person of excellence. As we see it, the second characteristic here in verse 1 also, that he was a man of noble character. Noble character. What does the word noble mean? He was honest. He was upright. He had integrity. Those are some rare qualities that I would love to see more today in our culture. You see, our culture is all about number one. It's all about me. How does it affect me? How, well, how am I to benefit? What, how can I get ahead because of what's going on? He was noble. He was honest. He was upright. He had integrity. But not only that, we see another one. Verses 3 and 4 and 8. Look at verse 3. So Ruth left and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvester. She happened to be in the portion of land belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. Later, when Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he said to the harvesters, The Lord be with you. And the Lord bless you, they replied. And then down to verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't gather, go and gather grain in another field, and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. We see another picture of grace and giving. He was a man of grace, and he was a giver. You see, if we remember back just a couple pages before the book of Ruth starts, you find something very interesting. Judges 21-25 says, in those, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever he wanted. It was chaos in the land. It was dark days. There was famine. Remember that. That was the whole reason they left and went to Moab, because of the famine. Not very great days. And here's somebody who comes along and says, hey, I don't worry about having a bumper crop. Here's someone that comes along and says, hey... Help yourself to it. In fact, I'm going I'm to tell my guys, don't take everything. 
I'm going to make sure they leave a good portion for you. Here's someone who comes along and says, I don't care about making the most money that I can make. I'm willing to give it up because you have a need. Who does that? Who does that even in our culture? You see, because once again, we live in a culture that's all about me and what I can make and how, how tall I can get up the ladder or how far out I can get up the ladder and what, what kind of influence can I have, whether it's power or pre- uh, prestige or position or whatever it may be. And here's a man who comes along and says, I want to be a person of grace. I want to be a picture of giving. Well, that's a wonderful portrait to be painted of our lives, isn't it? I mean, what's wrong with being a person who is gracious and giving? You see, that only happens when we're willing to uh, surrender our own wills. When we're willing to put our desires on the shelf and put others ahead of ourselves. Boaz was willing to do that. Then you see a fourth one. A picture of godliness. He was a man of godliness. Verse 4. You notice the greeting to his workers? The Lord be with you. And they said, the Lord bless you. You see, he couldn't do that unless he really meant it. It was a personal greeting. He wanted them to have God's blessing. As if to say Yahweh was with them, blessing them and their work. He was willing to extend the blessing to them. And they in return said, the Lord bless you. They were grateful for what he had done for them and allowing them to reap behind his harvesters. Remember, Moral was at a low, and along comes a man like Boaz. He cares more about the people than he does about the bumper crop. But also I remember, God has to have a sense of humor. There's no chance, there's no accident that Ruth ended up in that field. Just kind of a little humorous characteristic here, number five. He was a man of observation. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, Whose young woman is this? Hmm. I need to check into this one. Even through a simple observation, God was at work. God has to have a sense of God knows what he's doing. And you know, here's the interesting thing about Ruth. God's word doesn't tell us anything about what her physical appearance was like. You ever catch that? Nowhere in Ruth does it say, well, she was a long, tall, long-legged blonde with blue eyes. Nowhere does it say that she had fine clothes and deep black hair. It doesn't say. So what was it about her that caught Boaz's attention? I think the things we've already talked about. Her humility. Her hard work. Her heart. The very fact that she's willing to give everything up and take care of Naomi and come there. All these things combined. I think there was something more than outward appearance that caught Boaz's eyes. But notice something else about the character of Boaz. Verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, don't go and gather grain in another field and don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. 
See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? He was a man of protective character. He wanted to make sure that she was protected and safe. Ruth, I want you to stay close to the females. And I want you to know that these men, they're not going to bother you. If they do, I'm going to find out about it. He was a man of protective character. And care? Care? Wow. I love this verse 9. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered the young men not to touch you? And here's the part. When you are thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. He was a man of care. He wanted to make sure that her needs were met. Not just the grain that she would take back, but even as you are working. I want to make sure that you are taken care of. He was a man of care. And finally, verse 12. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. And may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel, under whose wing you have come for refuge. I believe that Boaz was a man of reward. He was giving through what God had given him. He was letting God give back to Ruth and the others. He was a man of reward. As I think through some of these things, prominence, you know, we may not be a prominent person in our sight. But the whole idea behind prominence is that you're mighty, you're a man of influence, you're a man of excellence. All of us can be that. We can have character. We can have noble character. We can have integrity. We can be upright. We can be people who are full of grace and giving. We can be people who will choose to be godly and to exercise godliness. We can be people who observe those that are around us. We can be people with protective character and those instincts that you know, make sure people are safe. We can be people who care. And we can be people who allow God to reward others through us. But I wonder what kind of portrait does our life paint? Here you see a portrait of two people from different worlds who God is allowing to bring together and come together for His good. God's just awesome. <coughs> Probably none of them. I'm sure. I'm, 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 I can just imagine for a moment here that Ruth and her decision to go back with Naomi probably didn't say, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to start you know, putting myself out there, making sure that everyone knows that, you know, hey, certain club, certain you know, social group, I'm just going to put it out there that I'm looking. I'm available. I don't see that in Scripture. And I'm certain that when Boaz woke up that morning, he didn't say, I think today's the day I'm going to find me a hot-looking woman. It was God putting it together. God in His sovereignty bringing two worlds together. And you're going to see that it's going to bring glory to Himself because of it. It wasn't so He could say, well, look who I am. I'm a spiritual giant. It wasn't about Ruth saying, well, look what I've accomplished. I got me a good one. It was two people who were focused on God coming together for the glory of God. What a beautiful portrait of two godly people. The question I want to close with this morning is, what kind of portrait is being painted by your life? 
is it a portrait of godliness? When I look at all these characteristics, humility, hard work, honor, heart, hope, I think those are some great qualities that we should want. And let God work in and through us to accomplish these things. Let's pray.